The Whole Health Cure with Dr. Sharon Berquist, the podcast that brings you inspiration and skills for living a healthy and fulfilled life. Welcome to the Whole Health Cure podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Berquist. On this podcast, we explore the science and provide inspiration and skills for living your happiest, most fulfilling, and healthiest life. Our guest today is my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Jonathan Bonnet. John is a board-certified sports obesity and lifestyle medicine physician. He's a team physician at Emory University and is passionate about optimizing health, improving performance, and promoting longevity. Jonathan has a background in exercise physiology and is also a certified personal trainer. He completed his undergraduate and medical school studies at Ohio State University before getting his master's degree in public health from Harvard University. He completed his family medicine residency at Duke University and his sports medicine fellowship at the University of Florida. Jonathan served on the board of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine from 2014 to 2016 and is currently on the editorial board of the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine. He has published research articles in sleep medicine, nutrition, sports and exercise, obesity, and behavior change. He's also the co-author of the Lifestyle Medicine Handbook, an introduction to the power of healthy habits. John, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sharon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, so, you know, you've been in lifestyle medicine for a very long time, and even though this is a new field, um, you've been part of the early founders as the lifestyle medicine has grown, and we're a part of creating this handbook. Can you tell us a little bit about the handbook itself? Sure. Yeah, no, I think a lot of my life has been very fortunate and very lucky, sort of getting a chance to follow my passion and running into lovely people in the field just like yourself. The handbook was sort of a serendipitous thing that happened a few years ago. Um, and I met, met a great mentor and now colleague, Beth Frades, um, and she actually teaches the Harvard Extension School Introduction to Lifestyle Medicine course. And we ran into each other at the conference. She said, hey, do you want to help TA for this class? And I said, that sounds like a dream come true. I'd love to. And so we hit it off, had a great time with the class, teaching the, all the students there. And then she had been doing this class for about three years or so. And so she had put tons of time and effort into it and basically had almost a whole book's worth of material essentially already created. And so she said, hey, you know, I'd love to try and turn this into like a handbook that we could use for students or rather just interested uh, folks from the general population. I'd never written a book before. It was one of those bucket list things. I said, I mean, I don't know if I'm qualified, but I'd love to help out with it. Um, so that's sort of where it started, and then over the last two years, we sort of went back and forth, got a publisher, and then last October, we finally launched it. So it was a fun process, but definitely more work than you think you're getting into up front. Yeah, like, unfortunately, that's how most things are. And, you know, what I love about the handbook is that it breaks down different dimensions of lifestyle medicine, and it's so practical. When you were designing it, which audience did you have in mind and, and how can people, you know, use that book to get to where they want to be in lifestyle medicine? Sure. Yeah, no, great question. And we went back and forth a lot figuring out what exactly, like what audience we wanted to tailor it to. Um, because there are some a bunch of sort of lay public sort of books and things out there that just sort of gloss over like the 
um, sort of basics of lifestyle medicine. And there are a few actual full textbooks, like by Gary Egger, there's a whole textbook of lifestyle medicine that actually exists too. So we didn't really want to be either of them since there's already sort of these things that existed. We wanted to try and fill this sort of niche gap for people that weren't just the lay public, but wanted a little more in-depth knowledge, but didn't really want to read in like a full textbook about all the details and nitty gritty. So that was the idea of calling it a handbook and it being sort of an introduction to the power of healthy habits to sort of go that next step where a consumer could still pick it up and go through it. But you could also have somebody who had a little bit more experience that just wanted some references and also a little more, more detail about some of the studies and some of the research. So what we sort of did was build 12 chapters, um, each of which covers some aspect of lifestyle medicine. Um, and then be, at the end of each chapter, there's also references and other articles and things that you can look up if you say, hey, well, I'm really interested in learning more about brain health. What are some actual literature searches I could do? And all the articles are sort of cited and referenced for you. So depending on how much interest you have, you can sort of decide how in-depth you want to go with it. So we will try to make it open to anybody from a student who's just interested in you know, a college-level course to graduate students or even someone, just a general consumer that says, hey, I want to learn a little bit more about the power of lifestyle medicine. Yeah. And, you know, the term lifestyle medicine, you know, it's a new field, but how do you define lifestyle medicine? I think there's a lot of ways you can look at it, and I think it can be a catch-all term for lots of things. I think the simplest way for me to think about it is when most people think about medicine, they think about taking a pill or going to a doctor to have a procedure done. And I think lifestyle medicine is just one of those tools that could be used in terms of creating health and wellness. So instead of getting the pill prescription, you get a lifestyle behavior prescription. And so that might be adjusting your physical activity level, addressing your sleep, figuring out ways to manage your stress, et cetera. So really it's focusing on behavior change and lifestyle behaviors as the primary intervention, not only to prevent disease, but to treat it and reverse it as the primary means of sort of providing care. And so that's how I think about using lifestyle medicine sort of practically for patients and people alike. Yeah. And and the practical part is such a key component, right? Because sometimes people conceptually may know what they need to do or what they would like to be doing in the next six months. But putting that into play, especially with how busy our lives are, can be mm-hmm. challenging. Um, now, you recently also did a presentation on that time management part of lifestyle medicine. What are some tips, pointers, advice for people who would like to get further along in reaching their goals, but are, quite frankly, just surviving? Yeah, it's very tough. And I think that's sort of the big, one of the biggest challenges in lifestyle medicine is translating what we know into what we routinely do. And that's no different for you and me as for a single mother with three kids. Everybody's busy. Everybody has responsibilities. And so it's tough. There's not just a free pass for just being able to just incorporate lifestyle medicine without any issues and problems. So I think one is understanding that, hey, this is going to be a challenge. It's going to have obstacles and barriers and figuring out ways to sort of overcome and try and figure out how can I prioritize my health is one of the things that's important to me. So I think one of the things that I'd used in, in the, I think in probably the presentation you're referencing, was this idea of a, a busy challenge, um, which I sort of came up with based on some other podcasts and things that I had seen and heard. Um, but the concept being that I've rarely come across anyone who says, I'm not busy at all. I've got tons of time. I can do whatever you tell me. No issues, no problems. Um, I've asked this for everyone from like students who are busy with college and stressed to people who are retired. And you think, well, hey, they don't have a job. They don't have anything. They should have tons of time. And I can tell you from experience, having three month, a three-month hiatus after I finished my fellowship, 
I felt busier than I had ever felt working full time, not having any quote unquote work to do. So I think busy is something we all struggle with. And I think we innately know that there are things that are important to us. I think it's the challenge of how to prioritize them. So this busy challenge is essentially just saying we get asked about doing things all the time, saying, hey, can you help with X or would you be willing to volunteer for Y or whatever it is? Can you, you know, help me do this thing? And I think it's easy to respond to things that we're like, eh, I don't really want to do. I'm just too busy for that. And frankly, we probably are all too busy. But I think the idea of this challenge is to replace that word, I'm too busy, with whenever you're going to fill that in, in your head say, I'm not too busy for something. There are just other things that are high, higher priorities to me right now. And so it's not a huge sort of mindset change, but it lets you think about, it removes the automaticity of saying, it's not just I'm too busy, like, is this thing important to me or not? And so when you use those words, it's not a high enough priority to me right now in your head, you don't necessarily have to say that out loud, but then you get a chance to at least think about it. Because there are some things that frankly aren't high priorities, like cleaning my, like dusting my blinds is not a high priority to me, right? But am I too busy to do it? No, I mean, I could go home and dust my blinds right now if I really wanted to, but they're not a very high priority to me. I can think of probably a thousand things I'd do before I go dust the blinds, which is totally fine. It's not an important thing. But if we, re- if we rethink that a little bit in a different situation, and I don't use this because it's easy to use yourself, but my fiance, I come home from work. It's been a long day. I have a project I want to work on. You know, I want to write an essay or answer some emails or something. I say, oh, you know, I'm going to be really busy tonight. And she says, hey, you know, I'd really like to go for a walk or cook together tonight. And an easy response is, I'm too busy for that. And I'm rightly busy. Um, but when I start to think of, like, what are my priorities in my life? Like, my family, my friends, certainly my fiancé. If those are the things that are really important to me, then when I think about saying, oh, I'm too busy to spend time with you to cook tonight because there are other things that I want to do, it doesn't feel as good to say I'm too busy for that. Or, or it doesn't feel as good to say that's not a high enough priority to me right now. And so it gives you a second to think about it. So it's not just saying, I am too busy for it. It says this it allows you to sort of reprioritize and rethink about what is important to you and respond in a way that makes you feel good about the choices that you're making with your time. And that reprioritization, do you think, is most effective when it's done throughout the day in your mind? Do you think it's a helpful exercise to write down on paper what priorities are and asking yourself if you're sticking with what you wrote down on paper? Like, is there a difference between thinking it through versus making those decisions on the fly as you go? I think it's a combination of both because I think innately, if you just said, if I said, hey, Sharon, what are your priorities in life? You could probably list off the most important five or six or seven or 10 or 20 to you. But so I don't think you need to write it down every time you come up with a decision or something that you need to make, um, a choice on. But I think making sure that you're registering every day you're making decisions, because inevitably, the compilation of every decision you make throughout the day ends up being how you've prioritized your life. Now, whether or not you've done that consciously or unconsciously, I think it's real easy to follow the unconscious path of just responding to an immediate question or ask or task or whatever. So I think it's important to have the time to reflect and say, am I actually 
alloc- allocating my time to do the things that are important to me? And if not, what are some things that I've noticed that I'm doing that I'm not really engaged in, I'm not really excited about, or there are things that I want to dedicate more time and attention to? So I think it needs to be both. I think you have to have a little bit of a reflection of like what actually is important to me. And that you would take some time and sort of figure it out. But then it's really, again, the practical of like, okay, like I know what my overarching priorities are. What do I do on a daily basis and a minute-by-minute basis to actually make sure I'm reflecting those? So it's a little bit of each. Right. And then combining the two busy with the lifestyle medicine, what are good ways to incorporate more of the healthy habits in that too busy life. <laughs> sure. And, and that was sort of what led me down this road because obviously my passion initially was in exercise and um, then I sort of fell in love with sleep and then nutrition. So I, I, I've sort of gone through all of the pillars of lifestyle medicine really being really interested and engaged. One of the things you, I struggled with seeing patients and even like colleagues and friends, people would come to me and say, hey, yeah, like I really want to get healthy. Like what are some things I can do? And it's real easy to go look up the things you should do, how much exercise you should get, how much sleep you should get. The real challenge that most people have is not knowing what to do. It's figuring out how to do it. And so one of the frequent sort of answers I got and responses from people was, hey, you know, I'd love to be able to exercise 150 minutes a week. I'm just too busy to be able to fit that in. Or I've got too much work. Like I can't get to bed on time and I have to get up really early in the morning. Like I'm too busy. And so a lot of that came out of well, how can I help people figure out how to sort of navigate this busy life and make sure that if health is important, which I think many of us would attest that it's one of the most important things that we have, how can we make sure we're actually giving that the attention it deserves? And so figuring out a way for people to prioritize their lives in a way that helps them reflect that is what I sort of sought to do. But I guess your actual question was, so what are things we can do to think about it? I think there's no single answer for individuals. Um, I think everybody works a little bit differently. For example, in the handbook, we put together a whole lifestyle medicine weekly schedule. So I could say, here's your whole checklist. These are the things that are evidence-based that have been shown to help promote health, prevent chronic disease. And if you can somehow fit these into your weekly schedule, I've sort of divided them up to make it manageable for you. Now, obviously, you're going to have to figure out how that fits into your own life. But I think scheduling things can make a big difference. And that's just putting it into your phone or your Outlook calendar or whatever, saying 6 p.m., Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, going for a walk with a friend or we're going to the gym or putting in time to have 15 minutes to relax and meditate or be mindful or even schedule like family dinners to connect with the people who are most important to us. I think scheduling can be a tool for people. I think just having perspective on what things in life are important and what things may not be as important as they seem at the time can be helpful. And I think the last one... Um, in, in terms of tips and tools and things um, that I'd sort of throw in there. And this has like been a super hard lesson for me to learn, but this ability to say no to things, um, which anybody who <laughs> has say, tried most that of us aren't very good is, at it. is very, very difficult. But I do think, and there's a wonderful book on this that we can put in the show notes about the art of saying no, which I think is fantastic. Um, but it, it really is important to think about what we say yes to. And the message I send people in terms of being able to prioritize things is every time you say yes to something, it means you're saying no to not only one, but probably multiple other options and ways you could spend that time. So just saying yes to a meeting, you know, let's say Wednesday night, means that I'm also saying potentially no to having dinner with my family or saying yes to going out for drinks, maybe saying no to that morning run that I was thinking about doing. So again, there's no free yeses. And I think the more we can sort of respect our own time and think about the implications of what we are committing to and what we are also unable to commit to because of 
the things that we've chosen to do, I think is a really valuable lesson that I've been working on trying to learn a bit better. But I think something that I think most of us could benefit from to make sure that we're spending our time in a way that makes us feel good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really great approach. You know, so to your point, it's easy to say yes, but to force yourself really to say at the same time in your head, what did I just say no to by saying yes is such a great habit to get into because it does make you appreciate your own time and value it um, in a different way. That's really great advice. And, you know, when you're trying to prioritize, sometimes you know, people think of health as maybe something that's kind of more of a more nebulous thing in that it's not a concrete today thing, but just something that I in general believe in. Um, and when you're prioritizing, sometimes it's hard to prioritize something that is such a concept, like we conceptually want good health. What are compelling ways to maybe think about health from a science standpoint? You know, so you, most people know they should have a healthy diet, however they would define that. But when you're prioritizing, sometimes it helps to really have the the motivational parts behind why we do the things we do. What do you think are really valuable things that people should keep in mind when they're trying to prioritize, you know, different aspects of their lifestyle as part of reaching their health goals? I think that's another perfect question to think about and one I've thought a lot about because I think it's, again, one of the challenges of how do we get, like, effective behavior change. And I think the the biggest challenge with um, having people try and figure out ways and reasons why to be able to do something and then also stick to it, I used to think that the data was good enough. Like, we just needed really good data to say, hey, you're going to prevent 80% of chronic disease. You're going to prevent yeah, if heart humans attacks, were that simple, it'd be strokes, great. diabetes. <laughs> will prevent 40% of cancers. Like, this is literally the best drug that we've got. And, like, you can take it. It's free. There's nothing but good side effects. I thought that would be enough. And I think a lot of people probably feel similarly. Um, But in reality, it's not. Like, we're not very good at appreciating how important things we're going to be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road when it's a very sort of obscure, well, I may still get a heart attack anyway, even if I exercise. So what's the point of exercising? Um, so I actually have gone away like those if those were the only good things about all the lifestyle medicine, I think we, we should all agree that everyone would want to take that in some iteration. I think the more compelling thing for people to not only to, to start it or try it and also to maintain it is the quality of life that you get from it. And so if you ask me, like, why am I going to go to the gym today? My response is not going to be I like going to the gym because I like preventing cardiovascular disease 50 years down the road. I probably wouldn't stick with much of anything that long if that was the only thing that I was going to get from it, and it's going to take a lot of time and effort to do. So I think one of the beauties of lifestyle medicine is that we get lots of immediate feedback from just the morbidity and also just the quality of life standpoint. And so anybody who's been sleep-deprived or has only slept a few hours of sleep a night knows how sort of crummy you feel the next day. You're irritable. You're tired. You're fatigued. You're not in a great mood. You probably can't concentrate or perform as well, and that doesn't feel very good. And conversely, people who have slept in after, you know, they slept 10 or 11 hours on vacation, they get to sleep in, they get to have a leisurely day, feel really awesome. And, like, it feels really good to be, like, well-rested and well-slept. Similarly, it feels pretty good to be able to, like, exercise or go for a walk. And so I think some of the immediate feedback we can get from, like, the food that we put in our body – 
being able to move or also to just um, be physically active and even to have like restorative sleep provides a lot of immediate feedback of saying, hey, you know what, like I feel really good. I'm performing really well. Like I have lots of energy to do all these things. And I think that's the beauty of lifestyle medicine is you start to do one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine and maybe it's even just getting more sleep, right? But if you get enough sleep, you have more energy, Maybe you want to start going for a walk the next day. You go for a walk and exercise. You come back and you say, well, you know what? Maybe I'm going to eat something a little bit healthier for dinner tonight because, hey, I worked out today. Like, I want to treat my body good. And you can get almost this domino effect of all these things are great for your long-term health, but you also get the immediate feedback of saying, wow, I just feel so much better. And I can't think of a better way to sell something than to say, this is going to make you feel great. And then you get to experience it. Yeah, you know, you're making me think of some 10-day or 14-day challenges I've given a lot of my patients telling them, you know, just leap of faith, you know, just, you know, eat in a, you know, whole food pattern and, you know, leap of faith. Just tell me how you feel in 14 days. Um, and it is amazing in the short amount of time, you just, you're, you're not cloudy and the thinking your energy level is different. I mean, I think... You know, that's really good advice to just focus on how you feel because these health benefits, which, you know, theoretically should occur, you know, based on a lot of clinical science, that the horizon is a very long-term timeline. So the immediate is much more practical, tangible for us to feel motivated when we're making those priorities of what Mm -hmm. we're saying yes and no to. John, you just been involved in so many aspects of lifestyle medicine and you know you've certainly done so much with so many different components of it and have contributed you know as an author as um, you know a researcher and what has made you so passionate about it like what what makes you put so much of your yourself into this I mean so I think there's a couple things I mean one it's the I think lived experience of it Um, because I found nothing more exciting and more fun in life than to be able to fulfill and live out some of those things. And again, part of it is that sort of feedback of like, wow, like I feel really fantastic. Like I think everybody should get to feel this way. And it was sort of like the thing that brought me into medicine. Like I think most of us are here because we really like helping people. We want to do what's right for them. We want to make them be able to live their best lives too. And so to me, lifestyle medicine just feels like the best way I can help somebody do that. And so for me... It's sort of something that I personally, like, have seen the benefits of. I've seen it in friends and family and people around me. And, like, I've seen changes in the patients. And so it's a really easy thing to keep coming back to because it essentially always works. (laughs) Like, people who do all these things will get to feel better. Their health will improve. It just takes time and effort and sort of a commitment to doing it. So I think the constant feedback, both as an N of one and also getting to help and treat all these people is more than I need to sort of make this my life's work. Yeah. And what do you see on the horizon as next projects that you want to be a part of? So I'm really excited since I actually just started at Emory um, fairly recently. Um, so we have a robust lifestyle medicine clinic here. Um, I'm happy to be joining your team um, and also the other folks at Emory to sort of do all we can to promote lifestyle medicine both within Atlanta and also hopefully bring this model to the national level too. Yeah, which is wonderful. And for our listeners, what is some advice and maybe things that they could start doing today? Um, like you mentioned, you've done certain things that have made you feel 
great. Um, most people want to feel great. Are there, like, if they were, like, maybe t- your top three or your top sure. two, like, what do you think that, you know, how would you, you know, give advice? Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ways you could go. So I always try to personalize it a little bit because anything you're excited about should be the thing you start with. And if that's sleeping, if that's meditating, if that's changing your diet, whatever you feel most passionate about should be where you start. Because like like I said, all these things can come around, but doing something that you're going to innately enjoy to start with, I think is the way to go. In terms of some more specific things, I'll sort of not give you the traditional, oh, you know, go for a walk today or oh, go to bed 30 minutes earlier tonight. Um, I think a really good concrete one that I, I got after doing or, or learning so, a bit more about some sleep from a really uh, excellent, excellent podcast um, by Matthew Walker, who's a really, really exceptional guy. Um, and I actually did this last night, so I'll, I'll use this one. But yeah. it was after your, after dinner. So you go home. It's been a long day at work. Go home, eat dinner. You can do anything up until dinner. But after dinner, no screens. So that's no cell phone, no iPads, no TV. Nothing electronic that you're going to stare into that night. And so, I mean, don't eat dinner at like 11 o'clock and go to bed, but like your normal dinner time. Um, and I actually did it last night, and it was great. Like I had dinner. Like I went and we did like some yoga, came back. Like I spent time with my fiance. Like we went to bed early. I got up early, super refreshed. And like there was probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 emails that I didn't answer last night that guess what? They were still in my inbox this morning. The world didn't crash, didn't burn down. Nothing horrible happened. But I think that little switch did a few things for me. So one, it reduces your light exposure at night to blue light specifically. So it actually helps with your melatonin production, helps you fall asleep more quickly, makes your overall night more restful. So I think number one, you get improved sleep. Two, there's less stress. I think any time I open my email, there's probably some level of anxiety. It's like, oh, God, I got to answer all these things. And oh, my gosh, I'm worried about this. It's going to happen next week. So I get less stress. Three, I had time that night, so I went and did some yoga, which was great. So I got some physical activity. We had a nice dinner together. So, again, we made something healthy for dinner. And lo and behold, I hit almost all the pillars of lifestyle medicine. I got to spend time with the people who are important to me, which, again, if I say what my priorities are, my fiancé is one of them. So, again, for me, it was just a simple reset by just not looking at screens, right? And that seems like a a very difficult thing at times for me um, to do, but I think it was just a powerful example of one little thing you could do that then could totally change how you spend the evening. So I think that's one good one. I think the other one I'll sort of leave you with, um, which I've been trying to do a lot more of, but has been really profound in just the way I think about life and stress and dealing with things. And that's find some reason each day to be a little bit more empathetic. And that can be to yourself or to someone else. And it's really easy to get very stressed out the day. If you're driving in the car, somebody cuts you off, you think, oh my gosh, how could that person do that? Like, they're just trying to, you know, cut me off. And the world is, you know, the world doesn't necessarily revolve around us as much as we'd like to think it does. But I think if you give your chance to be a little bit more empathetic to say, hey, you know what, that person cut me off. Maybe they're trying to rush home to, like, meet their kids, or, hey, maybe they're going to the hospital. Like, you can think of a lot of possibilities that maybe they had a horrible day at work. Maybe they got fired from work. You know, maybe they're in a bad mood, right? But I think if you give people the benefit of the doubt and recognize they probably didn't cut you off just because they wanted to make you angry. Like, that's probably not really a thing that happens generally. And so I think if you can find ways to be empathetic, you cannot get as upset and irritated and um, sort of lose your own cool by some other external action. And I think conversely, too, if we also are a little bit more empathetic to ourselves of saying, 
hey, like you've told me all these great lifestyle medicine things. I'm not doing any of them. Like I'm just a terrible person. Like not the case at all. Like we're all, we're all doing the best we can, right? And like we're going to have bad days. We're going to have tough patches in life. But I think recognizing that, hey, you know what? I'm doing the best I can with the resources I have, with the time I have, I think goes a long way to not feeling like we're insufficient or, you know, you're on social media and be like, wow, my life is just really not cool at all compared to all these wonderful people on social media. Um, so I think finding ways to be empathetic each day towards yourself and other people just goes a long way to your own happiness and also helping like deal and cope with stress and anxiety and other things that go on. So I think if I could do those things, if I could cut off my screen time slash social media and all those other things after dinner every day, and if I could also just be a little bit more present and empathetic to the people around me, I think that would go a long way to even just opening up opportunities to do some of the other lifestyle medicine things. Yeah, you know, it's great because there's a lot of interest around gratitude doing very similar of just appreciating Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, seeing cup half full rather than cup half empty. And empathy is really like the sister of gratitude, right? It's also just putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to understand, you know, why people, you know, or giving people, like you said, the benefit of the doubt is the cup half full turned towards other people instead of towards events in your life. And the power of how you frame things in your own personal health is is really profound. And I think speaks to how we're really designed in that the more we do for others, be it show acts of kindness, um, appreciate the health benefits that we reap from that is just speaks to how we're so interconnected in this world and um, how we even have a fundamental need to be helping others and, and how beautiful it is and that it creates this incredible harmony between our health and, and our environment. No, I, I, I could not have put that better. I totally agree. I, I think there is something something to the idea that, hey, we are all one, we're all on this planet together. And I think finding a way to appreciate the oneness and the unity that does exist, because we're far more alike than we are different at the end of the day. It's really easy to focus on the narrow aspects of whether it's politics or religion or something else. But at the end of the day, like everybody's trying to take care of their families. Everybody's trying to do the best they can in the world. So I think just finding ways to remember that and like appreciate that when those things do come up throughout the day it just makes everything easier in life. Yeah. And, you know, part of that empathy, and as you're saying this, I also think that, you know, it's hard to every night shut off your email after dinner. You know, we all have certain days that, you know, maybe there's something that's more urgent than other days. And, and it's hard to always not get mad when you're cut off in traffic. You know, again, we're human and we can, you know, respond differently depending on what's going on in our lives. That part of that empathy towards ourselves is realizing you don't have to do anything perfectly, right? And I think that's sometimes such an important concept when, you know, I, I love, you know, you describing what an impact just one night of shutting off emails had. But if you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to do this, right, then you're almost making it stressful when, you know, and hard on yourself and less empathic towards yourself if you yeah. don't do it. So, I, you know, the, the corollary to your great advice is, you know, do it when you can, mm-hmm. as much as you can. And I love the empathy part towards yourself, but realize that don't get mad if you're not always empathic 
to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) You have empathy, yeah. I I totally agree. And I mean, I will be the first to admit that I am horrible at that first one of just cutting off all screen time, and my fiancé can attest to that. But I I think it is, and you've totally hit on the important point of, I don't have that expectation that I'm going to do that every night because I would end up falling short fairly quickly and be disappointed and unhappy. But the idea being, hey, this was a great thing that you did. Maybe you should do it again sometime. And I will, um, whether that's tonight, eh, maybe not, but maybe in a couple days or next week or whatever I am able to do. Again, it's feeling good with the abilities that I'm able to put forward and not being judgmental and saying, hey, well, that's not enough. That's not enough. That's what I can do right now. And I think feeling good and comfortable with that is equally as important because expectations are everything. Like if you have an expectation that you're going to do something or that something will happen and it doesn't, it's a recipe for unhappiness. But having low expectations, conversely, that lets you exceed them far more frequently than you probably thought you could. So being able to manage that, I agree, is really, really important. Yeah. That's great advice. John, thank you so much. And for all the work that you do, you know, you work tirelessly in lifestyle medicine. You've contributed so much nationally to um, getting people to living their lives in a healthier way. And thanks for all the work that you do. Thank you for taking the time to join us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I'm happy to be here, Sharon. And I can't express my gratitude for all the hard work you guys do here at the Lifestyle Medicine Center. Thank you. The Whole Health Cure is brought to you by Emory Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness. For more information about wellness assessments, classes, and other resources, please visit our website, emoryhealthcare.org livewell. This material is copyrighted by Emory University.